Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Man City Show, everyone. Forget the treble, City have finally done it. Yes, we've scored an away goal at Spurs. Pep's legacy is complete. So joining me, Tony Newrush, to discuss this and much, much more tonight, we've got the very lovely Sarah Messenger. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Tony. The very lovely Nick Goldstone. Hi, Nick. Hello. And the slightly late but still lovely Stephen Cox. Hi, Stephen. Hello. Welcome all. Well, Sarah, let's start with you. And there is really only one place to start. That was that magnificent performance on Friday night. Let's give it marks out of 10 for you and and reasons why. Well, we played pretty well. Um, So if I was just marking it as an ordinary game, I'd give it probably eight and a half out of 10. Uh, But the fact that we won at their ground and scored a goal raises it an extra point. So I'm going to give it a nine and a half out of 10. Um, and, And actually... I mean, well, let's be honest, we were all dreading it when the draw came out, even though we, all, we were trying to be optimistic. It gave us two chances to score a goal this season at their ground. But um, I thought it was a, a, a professional, I'd say, yeah, I'd say dominant performance and a great result. So very happy. Nick, we've got nine and a half from Sarah. Higher or lower for you? I think I'll go eight and a half. I thought it was a great performance. But um, again, we should have scored more goals. Steve, we got there in the end, though, didn't we? Did you, we did, did you enjoy did. the game, dare I ask? It was a very good game. I'd go for nine out of ten. I, I was actually quite impressed with the pace of our play, and I think we moved the ball incredibly fast at times, and so fast that Spurs struggled to actually follow and keep up with it. And actually, that's one of the better performances I've seen in a long time from the team. Um I thought Oscar Bob and Phil Foden played particularly well, getting into those little tight little spaces and actually working the ball through the, the Spurs defence. Best best result at Spurs I've seen in a long time. Sarah, apparently it's taken us 102 shots of that bloody place to finally score a goal. <laughs> now, on the last podcast, Nigel Rothband, our dear host, was explaining he'd been five times, seen five goals and he wasn't going. 
this time. So is it simply because of Nigel Rothband or, or is there any other explanation you can give us for the reason we've, we've struggled so hard there? Everything is because of Nigel Rothband. We know that, don't we? Um, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, what? How, how do we explain, you know, we all know about bogey grounds and so on and so forth and inequally grounds that can be successful for us, but it's hard to explain how we've gone so long without even scoring a goal. I mean, I could kind of get my head around the fact we might have had five games where we hadn't won with a few draws thrown into the mix, but to not have scored a goal for a team as prolific as we are was strange to say the least. So, um, I mean, it had to come eventually. It was We were always going to score a goal there eventually. I'm just glad it was a winning goal in a cup tie as opposed to a consolation goal at the end of a defeat. So four minutes in, Nick. Ball is trickling over the line. Oscar Bob bashes it home. Is millimetres offside. Was it going to be one of those nights for you again? Were you worried? Yeah, well, I, was, I wasn't I was especially confident at any particular point during the game until the 89th odd minute. Um, yeah, we've just, I mean, we've just had a bad run there. It's, 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 it was, it was bordering on the weird. Um, we had, we, we had some great results um, under the Mancini, Pellegrini, that Pellegrini, that sort of time uh, when we were just scoring goals for fun against um, Spurs, but it's almost unexplainable. Um, and then you know when we do get a goal, it's the it's the scrappiest, rubbishest goal you could possibly imagine. That I don't, I don't know about anyone else, but you couldn't even sort of celebrate it because you're expecting it to be VAR and who knows what. So it was a bit of a non-event in the end. Well, I was I was going to try and steer clear of VAR, actually, but my reaction was the same as yours. I couldn't celebrate and will probably in the future have to wait another four seasons for the audited accounts to be signed off, et cetera, et cetera. It's all getting a bit much. But Steve, do you think Spurs can have any complaints about the goal? No, and uh, talking to a Spurs fan, he had no complaints about the game and said that the game really was deservedly won by City. Um as a fully paid up member of the goalkeepers unit union, albeit an ex goalkeeper one, I think Vicario was poorly positioned. I don't think he was strong enough. I don't think it was a foul on him. I think Diaz just stood his ground and I think Ake deservedly put the ball in the net. And and actually I have to say, Nick, it may have been a scruffy goal, but Ake's mum would have loved it. <laughs> he would. And Sarah. I have to say, Nathan Ake, he sums up everything right about City. He's bided his chance. He's never complained. He's got a smile on his face. And he's got the happy knack of scoring some great goals for us, doesn't he? I really like the fact that I think in the first season, he was definitely just seen as a bit of a backup and we might he might get the odd game here and there. And he's a decent backup. But no, no I don't think anyone was you know, doing cartwheels with excitement that we signed him. Um, and... And it, it was hard to see him becoming the kind of player that he has become, not because he isn't a good player. He always was a good player, but because it always felt like there were going to be two centre-halves or whatever ahead of him. I mean, I know he plays left... Well, we don't call them left-backs, do we, with City, but he plays on the left side of the defence quite frequently. And yet he has been probably as consistent as anybody else in that squad for the last season and a half, if not two seasons, he very rarely plays badly. He very rarely makes a mistake. 
Um, and, you know, that's two winning goals in two cup ties, two seasons running. So, and he's he does seem, I mean, I can't say I know him, but he seems to be a lovely man. He's definitely a very beautiful man, but he's, uh, he's he seems to be a lovely man, a popular squad member. He's exactly, I would think, what Pep loves in a player. <laughs> so we've got the very beautiful Ake there, Nick. Who else stood out for you? I thought, uh, well, I thought Phil Foden had a great game, but then I, I thought Kevin De Bruyne just looked absolutely world-class when he came on. I mean, he, I think he came on at the right time with 25 minutes to go when Spurs were just starting to get a bit tired, but it just, it, 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 whether it was, well, well, for whatever reason, he just stood in the middle of the pitch and he had, nobody within 25 yards of him every time he got the ball and he was just absolutely majestic spraying spraying the ball around and making those runs yes he should have scored a goal but it, it just it just felt right when he came on it's interesting isn't it i mean just picking up on that point you make nick you'd have thought any club playing against city when kevin de bruyne comes on you'd say to someone like hoiberg who's just a lump just stand on him, and yet nobody seems to do that. Why? How does he find that space? No, I think teams do do that. But as I said, I think Spurs, I think they, I think they just trailed off pretty significantly in the last 15, 20 minutes of that game, um, and they looked pretty ragged. Uh, and he just took advantage. Fair enough. Well, Steve, I'm going to mention one other player I thought was outstanding. Actually, was was Kovacic. I don't know. If do you share my view or anyone else you'd like to pick out? Do I do share your view on Kovacic? I mean, it's really hard to pick out players for special praise in that game because I actually thought it was a really good team performance. My player, though, that I really enjoyed watching, and he was back to his buzzing, tenacious, voracious little self, and that was Bernardo. He was everywhere on that pitch. He was defending, he was backing up Rodri, he was annoying their players in midfield, he was tripping people up and giving them a good kick when he needed to. He was out on the wing, he took people on. It, it just, it, for me, it's really hard to pick out and single out individual players. But, you know, it really was a great team performance. It really was. And defensively, we were really solid for a change as well. That's the other thing. Really solid in defence. I think we did. And Sarah, just to pick up on that, one person I'd also mention, off-field indiscretions aside, of course, is Carl Walker, who, when he needed to put the afterburners on, showed what a valuable asset he is to that team, didn't he? Well, there was one moment where we he, he absolutely did that. And uh, if there were any doubts about him still having his afterburners, they were, they were quickly dispelled. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the truth is City have no bad players. They have players who have... Um, occasional bad spells. We all we've all talked before about the, the sort of slight dip in Diaz's form this season. There was a dip in Walker's form, um, but also it's it, the thing that can be confusing sometimes is that City themselves as a team can have a dip in form. And I think what's really reassuring is that we, we all know about the post Christmas surge that that City usually make. I think when Steve mentioned a, a moment ago that it was a great team performance on against Spurs. It was a great team performance the week before against Newcastle. That's the thing that's reassuring um, that, you know, that the way we play 
is is bringing everyone up to the level that we need them to be rather than that the team isn't playing so well and it's it's highlighting the drop-off in form of one or two players. So it's looking good at the moment, she says optimistically. And Nick, we finally got that monkey off our back. This We can't win or score at Spurs. How important do you think that's going to be for the league running now? What, that one particular result in the FA Cup? Uh, I'm asking. I, I, it just, well, I, look, I think, I think for very, for a lot of different reasons, it feels we're, we're in a very good place. Uh, it doesn't mean we are, but it feels like we are. Um, I don't know whether we're going to come on and talk at all about the, about the transfer window. Um, but it, it, we've had a, a brilliant transfer window without having done anything at all because we've got, four or five players that are just that are coming back into the squad, coming back in into the team, um, along with a couple of young players who are really starting to look like they know what they're doing. Um, that just means we're in we, you know, having had a a, a a a moderately slightly below par first half of the season compared to what we might have expected, but still right in there. Uh, in every major competition and just looking like we're going to do what we have often done in the past and just take off and run for the finish line from from now till May. Well, let's pick up on a couple of those points then, Steve. I think what was equally impressive was not just the players on the pitch to start with, but that bench, that was quite frightening, wasn't it? And we are just getting players back at the right time. That must have put the fear of God into all of our so-called competitors, mustn't it? I think we probably have one of the strongest benches in the league, to be fair. I think he, I can't think of anybody now other than Haaland who's actually injured that we sort of, in inverted commas, miss. Um, it's nice to have De Bruyne back. Stones is back on, on the bench as well. You had Grealish on the bench. It, I think it, it shows the depth, you know, being able to change a game 20, 25 minutes from the end by being able to bring on a player with the quality of De Bruyne um, and uh, Dooku. It, it it just speaks and it, it, we kind of ooze quality. And I, I, I think I, I agree with Nick, you know, we're kind of, everything seems to be falling into place at the moment. We're starting to pick up a rhythm. We're starting to get that rhythm and we're starting to make winning a habit again. And actually, if we can keep that habit till the end of the season, then there's no limit to what we can have actually achieved. You know, last season, treble, this season, we could have um, added the Super Cup and the World Club Championship to potentially uh, another couple of trophies. So we could actually end up doing four this year. Potentially, you never know. <laughs> we live in hope. Well, all right. Let's pick up on Nick's other points, Sarah. The transfer window. It's about to close. Um, we've had one notable departure this week, Calvin Phillips. Um, not quite sure where we're going to put his statue, but alas, perhaps hasn't quite worked out as we would have liked. We've signed Echeverry, I think it's pronounced, from South America, one for the future. If you had your way, Sarah, would, would you be looking to do any more business? Or as, as Nick and Steve have alluded to, have we got the players back that we really needed and now we just push on with the squad we've got? I think any football fan that says they don't want their team to sign a player is lying. So the truth is we all love a signing, especially you know, the bigger the name and the more we spend, the more exciting it seems to be. But... I think we've also learned, we know Pep likes a small squad. Um, 
I am pleased. I'm glad. I'm glad Phillips has gone to West Ham. It's one one of the few clubs where we we have a bond with them, and we don't uh, we don't mind our ex players going there. Obviously, Zabaleta more recently went, um, and he he seems like a very nice, popular guy. And it's for whatever reason, it's not worked out at City. Let the lad go and play football somewhere else, and that's what he's doing. And it's you know if that helps West Ham take a few points off rivals, then all the better. And that's fine with me. Um, so I'm, I'm not disappointed. I think, you know, clearly if the injury list had, uh, had got longer or some of the injuries were more long-term, perhaps three or four months out, if, for example, if De Bruyne had just got injured now, I might have had a slightly different view. But I'm, 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 we, we, we never strengthen in January. We've got, I think we've had about two signings in the last 10 years in January. So, uh, and it hasn't done us too badly. So I'm happy with how things are. Nick, anything to add to that? Well, I was just going to just going to reiterate the point uh, that Sarah made about about um, uh, uh, the Phillips move to West Ham. I mean, you know, it's it's a point that some of the more deranged elements of the of the press have um, picked up as well, particularly those who inhabit Merseyside. That that not only have we have we um, strengthened by not buying anyone. But, but getting a load of players back fit, but we've also managed to strengthen West Ham, who have got obviously got important games against our rivals in the second half of the season, and how wildly unfair it is that one one team should be allowed to loan another team, uh, one of one of their players. Um, for some reason, it's uh, it's enormously unfair. In fact, it's probably illegal. It, 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 it's it's potentially a war crime. I think. In, in in uh, um, in some people's minds, but 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 there you go. <laughs> it's 117 charges now, isn't it? That's the latest <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Listen, FA Cup game, eight o'clock on a Friday. I think the point's been quite validly made that that's a ridiculous time for the fans. But Steve, let's look on the positives. It did for me. It made it feel a bit special having a game on a Friday night. Nine thousand City fans there. Great atmosphere. Two teams, I think, be fair to say, both of whom just wanted a positive result on the night. What's not to like? Journey back to Manchester, if you're from Manchester, I guess. Yeah. Um, that, that you know, the, the Aviva trains are not the most reliable at the best of times, so I don't think I would have liked to have been lumped into that position. Um, I'm sort of lucky that I live in the southeast, therefore it's easy for me to get to and from a game like that, but less so, you know, our, our fellow fans from that are travelling down from Manchester. I, I mean, I really think that we've got to give that a little bit more thought, really. That kickoff time is a bit bit of a nasty one. You're right, great atmosphere. That stadium actually is quite echoey inside. So once people start hitting the metal bars and start singing actually it creates quite an atmosphere anyway in itself um i mean yeah personally i don't have a problem with it but i could understand that a lot of the fans traveling down from manchester would in the same way as we had you know there, there was a lot of uh, vocalness about the fa cup final being put on a late afternoon kickoff um and i think that you know we keep doing it for tv but is it really fair for to make any team travel a long distance when you know just for the television but then they pay up, pay the money, don't they? Yeah, I guess we're not going to resolve that one tonight. But you know, another trophyless year to year for Spurs. What a what a shame that is, Sarah, for a big club. Eh? Does does your heart bleed for them? It bleeds profoundly. Uh, not 
Listen, they ruined 1981 for me, so anything they get now is uh, karma as far as I'm concerned. It couldn't happen to a nicer club. Well, talking of karma, Nick, we've got Luton in the next round, and I was there behind that goal in 1983 when Radian scored and David Pleat did his jog in that horrendous brown suit. Anything to fear there? Well, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, we didn't have the greatest game there a couple of months ago. Um, managed to to win. I mean, it wasn't in a good wasn't in a good period of the season for us. Um, I mean, I was just hoping we were going to get a home tie watching watching the draw yesterday. Uh, we got down to a point with about three or four ties left where we, it was it was all looking pretty good, and you could you could have thought really that anyone else, anyone we got then, as long as it was at home, was going to be a pretty a pretty safe um, bet. Uh, but you know, there'll be all the build up, there'll be all the media, there'll be all the TV. They might. I don't know whether they're going to wheel David Pleat out. Whether he's still uh, conscious, alive or not, I don't know. Hope he is, but I'm sure they'll try and wheel him out, whether he is or not. Um, and um, there'll be some sort of story, and everyone will be desperately hoping for a shock, and it'll be desperately emotional. But we'll probably just go and probably win, um, and I hope that we do. Okay. So that's the <laughs> FA Cup. And of course, we'll hope we win, and I'm sure we will uh, as holders. We've not lost outside Wembley since, is it 2018, I believe? As something like that, isn't it? So we gotcha. do have a great record. Let's just talk about some of the other news in the week before we look forward to a couple of games. Um, I'm going to talk slightly controversially on the Man City show about Jurgen Klopp, if we may. Um, I, I thought it was like Lady Di had died this week, the way the... Uh, Papers were going on about it. He's standing down after, is it, nine years at Liverpool? Um, Steve, I was going to get a fair-minded Liverpool fan on to talk about this. They're just I don't think there are any, so you'll have to do. How how do you think we should reflect on Klopp's legacy? I mean, look, at the end of the day, if, if, if you look at how the Premier League's been over the last few years, until Arsenal rose a little bit with Arteta, without Klopp, we wouldn't have had any competition whatsoever, would we, really? Um, the one thing he did do was kind of put Liverpool into a position where they were very dangerous and very capable of winning trophies. Even Pep himself said that he's going to sleep a bit better at night knowing that Klopp's not 20 miles down the road in, in Liverpool preparing to, to thump us or try and thump us. I mean, look, he's an outstanding manager, but the one thing that taints it for me is he's really bought into being a sort of a semi-scouser and, uh, you know, he's got the same kind of opinion. I, I get fed up with his moaning, to be quite frank with you. That's, the, that's the, the problem I do have. I know all managers moan a little bit, but he seems to have taken this kind of, this, uh, not victim is the wrong word to use because then people link it to the wrong kind of thing. But the reality of it is it, it always seems to be, why always us is the attitude that or approach that I seem to get from Liverpool fans. You know, why is everything against us? Why is it all to always to sort of penalise us? Why this? Why that? Why the other? And that that they seem to have a bit of a, a mentality of that coming at things from that kind of angle. And I think he's picked that, picked that up quite nicely. But... Yeah, I wish him all the best. I hope he has a good rest and hope he doesn't manage someone that ends up playing us. So, Sarah, in eight seasons at Liverpool, he's won the Champions League once in a competition where they lost five times and had to beat Spurs in the final. They've won the FA Cup on penalties. 
Um, and they've won the league. I'll give them the league. I mean, we managed that in two weeks earlier last year, <laughs> didn't we? So, you know, is are they the great rivals everyone's made them out to be? I think I think they are. And, I, and in a way, I'm glad that we had rivals that made... I mean, look, you know, don't get me wrong. There's nothing worse than sitting there 2-0 down to Villa on the last day of the season thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God. But there's... It's so much sweeter when you finally pull it out of the bags. And I think if City had not had Liverpool as rivals and we'd won up, let's say, well, we'd already won five in a row, wouldn't we? Uh, we'd be going for six. Um, I, as, as a fan, we wouldn't be bored with it because you can never win enough trophies. But I think, I do think for the game of football, you know, the whole ethos of a, of a competitive sport is that there's competition. And so, in a way, I am glad that Klopp did what he did for Liverpool. They've, his achievements don't get anywhere near what Pep has done with us. And let's ignore all the arguments about Pep's a checkbook manager. Klopp's not being shy at spending money. Um, I think he's a really great manager. I just think he's not as good as Pep. And that was the case in Germany. And it's proven to be the case in the Premier League. But he's given Liverpool fans things that they've dreamed of. They've enjoyed having him as their manager. They're all in love with him. They're all um, off to counselling the moment he leaves, uh, you know. Uh, uh, and we probably shouldn't mock too much because, let's be frank, we'll be running a few podcasts, special editions, when Pep finally waves us goodbye. So I, all I'd say is I'm glad we got Pep and not Klopp. But if I was a Liverpool fan, I'm glad we got Klopp and not David Moyes. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I think you're right, Sarah. It does bring into focus that Pep's not going to be with us forever. Um, you know, in my humble opinion, Klopp's legacy and his style of football is, well, running around a lot. I think Pep has completely changed the way every single team at junior level, around the world to professional level, plays the game. I mean, his influence has been huge. Nick, is fair comment? Do you agree with that? Uh, yes. Um, I think that Pep is more influential um, and he's a real he's a real generational talent, in fact, more than that, actually, because I think he's revolutionised the game more than anyone has almost ever done. Um, uh, perhaps, you know, Cruyff is is one of the others who would who would who would be up there at, at the same level. But there's very, very, very few um, Klopp's not quite there, but I think you know lots of respect for him. Um, I think you've got to sort of disassociate Klopp from, unfortunately, the the fan base that he he represents, um, who in many ways just are really embarrassing. Um, but I've got a lot of time for Jurgen Klopp. He's he's had his sort of wild moments and. He's, he's, he's chucked accusations around at various points in time, uh, some of them quite barbed in, in our direction uh, in relation to, to financial matters, which I suspect he knows an awful lot less about than than uh, than stuff on the pitch. But, you know, every, all those man, every manager has their, their moments. Um, he's been, frankly, probably driven almost literally insane by by our club over the time he's he's that he's been at been at Liverpool, um, he he created a, a a superb team with whom we've had some sensational matches 
possibly one of the best games at the Etihad in 2019, January 2019, in, in the last, well, in the history that, that we've had at that stadium, uh, being one of them, but not the only one. And we've had our, our ups and downs. Um, so I, I, lots of respect to him. Um, you know, he's going because, well, he's probably just had enough. Maybe there's some other reasons that we haven't yet heard. And he, he sort of alluded to those a little bit when he when he did his, his video the other day. Um, but who knows? You can well imagine, though, that after nine years running that place, that he just frankly needs needs a rest and, and who wouldn't fair enough and just one other person we'll quickly mention steve who's who's going is omar barada who's off to united to be their ceo he's left city yeah. obviously must have some sort of aversion to trophies or something is the only reason i can think of a go anything else to say apart from cheerio well, cheerio uh, obviously they open their wallet very well um and i guess they, they need to realize that one person didn't make City the way City is now. It was built on structure and a foundation and made by many people. So good luck to him, as much luck as possible. And I, I hope he continues to take them in the direction that they're generally going, which normally is down, I think. And on that positive note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll look forward to the two games this week and uh, a few other matters out and about round football. See you in a second. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back, everyone. Okay, one other thing that cropped up this week that has really got my beef is our beloved chairman, or whatever he wants to call himself, of UEFA, Alexander Seferin, saying that notwithstanding City had been completely exonerated, um, they were in fact guilty and should have been charged and thrown out of the Champions League. Um, Sarah, any kind words for this gentleman who nearly organised a, well, he did organise what was an absolute disastrous Champions League final in Turkey, notwithstanding the disaster that was the previous year, and yet they've yet to apologise to that to the City fans. But he's got plenty to say about this. What's what's your view on this idiot? Well, I think it's a competition, isn't it, to see which of us holds UEFA in the most contempt. Um, you know, I won't list them, but there are numerous examples of their complete disregard for either the enjoyment of fans or indeed as we saw in Istanbul and we all we all experienced it um the safety of fans it was a disgrace what happened in Istanbul and actually um I think you know we it we probably didn't make as much of it as we should have done and and I think the club have got a bit of culpability here in terms of how much they've supported the city fans who've raised it as an issue um I mean, as for as for, I mean, I just don't take anything they say seriously. Half of them are crooks. They've all taken. I hope this isn't going out anywhere where I could be sued for libel. Of course, but, you know, there's ever there's there's evidence. I think, or there's a suggestion of uh, money exchanging hands. Um, you know, if you're if you're running an organisation and 
you have gone through in inverted commas due process and a member of your organisation has been exonerated. It's completely at, at work, or at best unprofessional to then make the kind of comments you have. Um, and at worst, it suggests a kind of incompetence or a lack of impartiality that's that's a disgrace in an organisation like UEFA. And I noticed this week that I, I don't know all the details, so one of you may be much more ahead of it than I am, but there's... Hasn't Boban resigned from the committee or one of the committees and um, complained about what's gone going on within UEFA? So uh, the, the long and the short of it is I think they're a mess. I don't think they run football very well. I think they get by because football is so loved by so many millions of people that we end up putting up with something like the experience we all had in Istanbul. Um, they're not fit for purpose. Um, you could level that at a few of the English or the British uh, footballing bodies as well. Um, but we're stuck with them at the moment. Well, Nick, just a, a few quotes from this charming man. We know we were right. You have to respect the decision of the court. Hmm. I don't want to speak about the case in England whilst it's all over the front pages of every paper. Anything you'd like to add to Sarah's fairly cutting comments? Well, one, one could give him the benefit of the doubt, given that he was being interviewed by, by a newspaper, uh, and say that, look, you know, they had a conversation. He was asked about the case that UEFA brought. UEFA and he would would quite reasonably say, well, we, we thought we were right. Um, but, 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 but the court disagreed or cast disagreed. Um, and kind, kind of that's that. And then that's the headline and everything goes a bit um, sort of um, up in the air, up in the air after that. But uh, 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 UEFA, the kind of organisation that will, you know, will 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 do whatever it is they want to do and act in the the uh, the, the interest of their 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 executive, unless they are scrutinised every moment of every day of every year um, that goes by. Uh, and the more there, there needs to be absolute transparency about whatever it is that they do. Um, because if there isn't, then they will be up up to no good. Um, history pretty much proves that, and unfortunately, you know that's not going to change going forward. So um, there are there are shenanigans going on in relation to to his own position um, at the moment. Uh, other executives have resigned, which is a good thing. S a spotlight has been placed on that, which is also a good thing, and long may that continue. All right, Steve, I, I, I think that's probably about all we can say on that. Well, while we're on to rants, though, one of the things that got my goat, just coming back to the Spurs game, if we look at the ITV punditry panel, we had Ian Wright, OK, Arsenal, not my favourite pundit, but that's just a personal choice. We had Defoe, ex-Spurs player, and we have that bastion of Manchester impartiality, Roy Keane. I mean, it's just, why is there no City representation at these games? It's it's just ridiculous, isn't it? We've been successful now for, what is it, 13 years? Surely they could find one ex-City player to bring on. So I agree. Can I just make a point on the last conversation, actually? is And one thing I will say is Seferin is actually a lawyer but he's the last lawyer on this planet that I would ever be contacting should I need a lawyer. Um, sorry, end that one there. Uh, yes, I agree. We should have had some kind of city representation on there. I would say that despite his red roots, 
Keane generally is actually quite generous to City in his comments and the way that he makes it makes them. Um, Ian Wright, I think, is probably more City than he is Spurs, given the fact that his son played for us for so many. Well, both of them actually played for us for quite some some time, and I think he probably has seen City more than he's seen Spurs over the years. Um, Defoe, yeah, of course. So they bring out a Spurs guy, and then we have all this focus on Aussie Arde. You know that nineteen eighty one thing. They really went on about that. Christ, I was thirteen when that happened. For crying out loud! I mean, I still haven't forgiven them for it, but I was thirteen when that happened. Um, ITV kind of wax lyrical about it, and 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 it, I did notice in the commentary that Ali McCoist made reference to Steve McKenzie's volley, which I was very pleased to hear that, because actually that that probably, for me, was the better goal. Via's goal, yes, for somebody dribbling, putting the ball in the net, great goal. But the, the way that McKenzie actually took that volley, I thought was needed far more kind of skill than, 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 than the rest of the goals put together, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, it was a cracking cup final. That's a shame it was replayed on a Thursday night because I couldn't make it at that age school night and all that um but yeah I think didn't miss anything no no um I think that there is or tends to be a bit of an almost anti-city balance sometimes these days I notice and with all of the stations they do tend to kind of you tend to have commentators that go on and wax on about what Tottenham need to do I didn't hear much about what City needed to do in order to win the game oh Tottenham need to do this Tottenham need to do that it's like what about us? You know, it, it does get a bit frustrating, that's all. And quite often I actually sit there and turn the commentary up. And actually that's the thing I would like, the ability to actually just soak up, if I am watching a game on telly, to be able to turn off the commentary and just listen to the crowd in the background. That's far more fun to me. And that, I suppose, just go to a game, I guess, is the answer, isn't it? You don't have to put up with any, any of it unless you've got some bloke next to you that knows it all. All right, rant's over. We've got two important league games to look forward to as we get to, well, the start of the business end of the season, I would say. We've got Burnley Wednesday night on Amazon Prime, 7.30 kickoff. November away at Brentford. Uh, let's let's turn to Burnley first. I mean, listen, Sarah, I think the, the big news, as it were, is potentially Haaland coming back. But we've won, is it eight now and drawn one without him? Does he even get in the team for you, Sarah? think he does doesn't he really Tony um, well if he's fit as, as I suspect he'll be on the bench uh, and get maybe half an hour 25 minutes at the end um, I mean look we've we, well I've got a bit of a soft spot for Burnley this year because we all love Vincent um, it's not worked out I actually thought they'd be better in the Premier League than they've proven to be because they were so dominant in the championship last year and they were playing lovely city style football um, but you know, he obviously couldn't buy the quality of player he needed to be able to translate that into a successful, and by successful, I mean a, a, a sort of a team that can sustain itself in the Premier League. I mean, they may still stay up, but clearly this, the spotlight is on them. I mean, I, I think all I can say is that if City are going to win the league again, then you absolutely have to be beating Burnley at home and um, Brentford. Are they, are they, I can't remember now. Are they away first? Because I know we played them twice within about two weeks. Is it home or away? We're away at Brentford. It's away. So, but either way, we should be we should be pocketing six points from those two games because we've got a grisly march. So we need to we need to get some points in the bag ASAP. Yeah, quite right about March. Nick, I think 
most of us would probably agree on our strongest City starting 11 in, in most positions. I think the two that stand out for me are perhaps at centre-half. We've got John Stones back now. Who would be your first choice centre-half pairing if everyone's fit? I know Akanji's still perhaps a little away, but who would you like to see as at the heart of the defence? Uh, I would probably say uh, Diaz and Stones. Um, and Stones specifically for that ability to step up into midfield. I think we've we've missed it. Um, and I'd love to to get to have him back consistently for the second half of the season. Um, so that would be my answer. Steve, agree? And who, who gets the left wing berth for you? Yeah, I agree with Nick. Um, I actually think that Gvardiol has played quite well in recent games and has actually started to come into his own. He had a particularly good game on Friday night, so I would probably go with Gvardiol, Stones, Diaz and probably Walker as being our strongest back four pairing. Um, it's a shame that Ake misses out on that one, but it's kind of a little bit tight between Ake and Gvardiol. But I think Gvardiol is probably just a little bit more dynamic going forward. So, Sarah, I think you've already made the point. This is this is a two must-win games for you. Um, Brentford did the double overs last year, though. To be fair, um, any any concerns? Well, they, they did, and and of course, we're the only team that will have played them twice this season when Tony was available for both games, assuming he's not injured. So, you could argue that's a slight disadvantage. Um, I mean, Brentford are having a difficult season. They've got some players away at the Africa Cup of Nations. Um, they might have some at the Asian Cup as well. I'm not sure. So, uh, I, look, on paper, no concerns, but it's not an easy ground to go to, Brentford. So I certainly, as Nick mentioned earlier, we struggled a bit at Luton until we finally got control of the game in the second, sort of middle of the second half. So um won't be easy, but... I mean, we say it every season, you've got to win those games if you want to win the league. So I'm, I'm optimistic we'll be bringing six points back from the next two games. All right, let's end with our predictions then for these two games then. Nick, Burnley first, then Brentford. Uh, I'm going to go 4-0 Burnley and 2-0 um, to us at Brentford. OK, confident Nick Goldstone. Steve, are you... Uh... Equally I agree with Nick on the 4-0 at home to Burnley and I would say 2-1 to City oh. away at Brentford. Is that a, a Tony goal, is it? Mm. Okay. Right. Just because of what Sarah said. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it home, Sarah, your predictions. Well, well, we'll go for the full house on the 4-0. So Nick called, I think Nick's called that oh. one right. I'm, I'm going to go 3-1 away at Brentford. 3-1. So nine points, yeah. nine points and nine points. I love the confidence. What could possibly go wrong? All right. Well, I think we've put the world to rights. We've talked about Spurs and we've put that voodoo to rest. So enjoy the game. So thank you to my guests, Sarah, Nick, Steve, and we'll see you all very soon. Thanks now. Bye-bye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.